Hi guys, and welcome to a very special episode of Horror Nights In with me, your host, Crystal, and my uh, guest co-host this evening, Patrick. Say hello, Patrick. <laughs> uh, so with it being New Year's Eve, Patrick and I have been brainstorming, and he actually came up with the idea of discussing the movie New Year's Evil, which I didn't even know existed until he told me. Um, so I have to give him props for this one. This was totally his idea. Um, and if you don't know who Patrick is, then go back and listen to episode nine, because you are behind, my friend. And um, if you want to know who he is and the things that he likes doing and the reason why Patrick helps me co-host, then definitely go back and check out episode nine. We talked about uh, 13, 14 cameras. Um, so in addition to us dissecting New Year's Evil, we will also be chatting about about each of our top five horror movies discussed on my podcast. So definitely wait till the end of this episode to hear about it. And also just a disclaimer, guys, there are spoilers in my podcast, and I am very, very sick today. <laughs> uh, Patrick and I are actually trying to figure out if he was going to just take over the whole show for today, but then we decided that we wanted to do it together. And um, But he's basically going to take over the majority of uh, the discussion of the movie. And I'm kind of just going to chime in um, about any opinions and things that I have. So usually um, I go into the, a very detailed summary of the movie, but this is a special, so we um, aren't going to delve too much into it. And it's also a holiday on New Year's Eve, so I'm sure you guys might have plans. I don't have plans now. The doctor told me I couldn't do anything. So. <laughs> Patrick, are you, gonna, are you doing anything for New Year's Eve tonight? Uh, probably not. Probably just no. watching some movies or playing some video games. So I don't know. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I was actually supposed to. If you guys follow me on Twitter at Horror Daddies RS, I actually was supposed to bartend tonight at my other job. But thankfully, the doctor said I wasn't allowed to. So it's kind of like a blessing in disguise because I didn't feel like working tonight anyway. <laughs> uh, I definitely didn't want to work till 2 o'clock in the morning with a bunch of drunk people, especially when I'm this sick. Um, so I apologize now if my voice sounds not the way that it usually does. Patrick said I sounded the same. So do I usually have this nasally of a voice? <laughs> it doesn't sound that bad. I mean, it's I, you might be... I don't know, making making some of this up in your head, but you still sound pretty normal. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, the doctor said I had a sinus and an ear infection. And apparently everybody likes to get sick on New Year's Eve because I just went to one of those like ready care places and it was packed. I mean, I was there. Oh my gosh. When did I text you that I was going to like, I think I told you I was going to the doctors at like 1130 and I literally just got home like 15 minutes ago. So I was, it felt like I was in the emergency room. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, how long, long time. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So I'm just going to give you a, a quick synopsis of the movie. And I'm also going to give you the Rotten Tomatoes and the IMBD rating of the movie before Patrick gets started, just to give you guys a little bit of a background on this movie. Cause I actually had no idea this movie even existed. So New Year's Evil was released January 1st, 1981 with a running time of 90 minutes. Uh, it was directed by uh, Emmett Alston and it was written by uh, Leonard Dubar. So Rotten Tomatoes actually gave it a 14% and 14% of the audience liked it. And IMDb gave it a 4.8 out of 10. So a quick synopsis of the movie is during a New Year's Eve celebration, a Los Angeles disc jockey receives a phone call saying that when New Year's strikes in each time zone, someone will be murdered and she will be the last one. So now I'm going to give it over to Patrick and he is going to take over for a little while. And like I said, I, you'll hear my voice come in and out just commenting. But take it away, Patrick. New Year's Evil. 
All right. New Year's Evil is is certainly a um, an interesting 1980s flick. It's it's definitely got the 80s aesthetic. It's got the 80s soundtrack, the 80s hair, 80s style, everything. Um, I'm going to apologize in advance because I do not remember every single character's name in this oh, film. Yeah. All all I can remember is Blaze, and that's the main character. So. Uh, I don't remember her son's name. I don't remember the the uh, the husband's name, and you know you had all those other little ancillary characters. So uh, I apologize in advance for not remembering all those names. But it's um, it's I do have them. I do have them if you need them. So um, Kip, I believe, was the the um, the murderer, (laughs) and Grant was the son. Okay. That's all. I, that's all I can remember. Everybody else is kind of a little bit irrelevant. Yeah, no one else really plays in any importance in, in the rest of the, the rest of the movie. Correct. Um, the 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 main character Kip, who was the the killer, and then Grant, who was the son. Honestly, those are the only ones that um, really you would need to remember, if anything. Right. So. Um, so you know, just like the name of the film kind of implies, everything is occurring on New Year's. Uh, you know, it's really definitely um, it's dated itself and that kind of MTV era, um, you know, because MTV was starting right around the 80s. To, you know, you got your video disc jockeys and and Blaze for for some reason. It's never quite explained is the most popular uh, disc jockey, uh, you know, in the U.S. You know, it's, she's got everything set up, you know, from the East coast all the way out to the West coast. And of course they're set out in the West coast. So everything is, you know, ends and climaxes there in California when the clock strikes midnight out there. And, uh, you know, I think that this film maybe at its time was taken too seriously in the sense of, it's just a fun campy ride. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. something to, um, look at and go this is a serious slasher of course this is also right around the time when slashers were starting to get big and you started having your holiday based ones because you had you know john carpenter's halloween you had friday the 13th i don't know whether or not april's full day uh was before or after this but you know you had all these my bloody valentine these kind of holiday themed uh horror films kind of start sprouting up in the 80s due to the success of those prior films but this this film doesn't you know, take its its slasher seriously. Um, you know, when you get the first call from, as the uh, the killer likes to call himself, New Year's Evil, he's using a, a voice disguiser, uh, and he's, you know, kind of, he's threatening that he's going to murder a, a woman uh, for each time zone, which in of itself is a really interesting concept. Uh, I didn't, I think uh, the last time I had watched this was years ago and I had it under my, I guess in my mind that he was actually in those time zones, but then there's no way that he could actually kill people in those time zones while reaching California in time for midnight. Just yeah, no physical. I just want to add in there. I totally agree. I was actually a little confused um, because I, I remember I made a note and um, I said, how is he getting across the country in all these different time zones and killing all these different people at all these different places. <laughs> I, yeah, I was so yeah. confused. I didn't realize that pretty much all the murders were happening in and around Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I remember watching it and I was thinking in my head, I'm like, wait, is he in New York City killing this person? And I'm like, oh, wait, no, no, no. That that would make this a sci-fi movie and he would be time traveling. And like, <laughs> so I was like, no, no, Crystal, he's in Los Angeles. He just, you know, listens to the radio. Duh. <laughs> so Right, because when the so first murder happens, <laughs> it just happens at, uh, you know, a sanatorium and you don't know exactly where it's located because they're right. just the the crazies in in the uh, hospital are just watching this program, so you don't know if they're in New York or you know out there in in LA. So it, it takes a little like extra thinking of going, oh, okay, he is killing them when it's the time in the California time zone, but in those times other time zones, it's midnight there. Correct. And once once you get over that hurdle of of realizing that, you know, makes a little bit more sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, we know just like in any horror film, when he calls in, although the uh, although Blaze does her job, I mean, she's frightened by this phone call. She, you know, is like, "Hey, I want the cops here." Okay, I don't care that I've already got cops here. I want more cops. Like she is legitimately afraid of this guy, even though the cops try to just go, "Ah, he's just a prankster." You know, there's there's no validity to it until the first body turns up at you know, midnight. And, um, you know, it, the, the one thing that I like and I dislike about this film is it doesn't hide the face of the killer. Uh, it hides the identity. You do not know who the murderer is until about the climax, but there's something weird and kind of, I don't know if it, if it's supposed to be disarming or if they just didn't feel like it was worth disguising his face because you know he's got to pick up these women and how is he going to pick up women to murder if he's hiding his face or or what but it's something that's really odd and is not done in a whole lot of horror films so I, i think it works but at the same time it doesn't work i think it works more when you get to the climax of the film versus the first you know so few or so murders that he does um but you know that's you you have this weird relationship with uh, Grant the son and Blaze the mom. I, I was reading the wrong thing. <laughs> I was looking oh. at the actors' names. Oh, got so, that backwards then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. the main character, the DJ, her name is Diane. Her husband. Well, her is, nickname is Blaze, but yes. Correct. Her her husband's name is Richard, and the son's name is Derek. <laughs> okay. I thought it started with a D, but that's all right. Down, I wrote it down in my notes, but then I was like, <laughs> I reversed it. Like I said, you guys have to really mind me. I'm on a lot of antibiotics and a lot of medicine <laughs> right now. So I'm doing my best, okay? That's yeah, all <laughs> right. Again, well, his name is Derek. So okay. Derek is the weirdo son. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the relationship with, with him and Blaze is just really weird. And and again, I think it's a shortcoming of the film uh, in the writing aspect that they don't explain why he's so weirdly obsessed with his mother's approval. And there's one scene in particular where he is taking a piece of I, I don't know if it was pantyhose or just leg nettings and he kind of puts it on his face while he's looking at a mirror and then sticks like a an earring or, or a pen through his ear and it, his relationship with his mother is just completely weird. 
<clears throat> no, I agree. I agree. I was actually um, Derek, the and the actor Grant. Um, I made a note that it reminds me of the Antichrist in American Horror Story. He kind of looked like him a little bit. Um, and then, um, if you go when you go back and rewatch it, um, you'll see what the comparison that I'm making. And it's just funny that they both play like this really weird character. But yeah. I was confused at the uh, part when he put the pantyhose over his face. I forget exactly what he was saying. I don't remember. I, I just know it was weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they, I, I think it was, it's, he's got a little bit of an Oedipus complex, kind of, <laughs> when it comes to his yeah. mom. But like. Kind of is being generous. Because <laughs> he wants to, because like, you're, you're under the impression that he wants to like, kill his mom. Because she, I remember he's like looking at himself in the mirror with the pantyhose across his face and he's like taking the roses that he got her mm -hmm. and he's like ripping it apart. Um, okay, keep going. I just wanted to add Well, and, so, and see, this is where I think like with them showing the killer's face from yeah. the, almost the get-go, I think it kind of ruins some mystery where you could have been thinking, wait, is her son the one that's, you know, perpetrating these murders? Mm -hmm. Um and so I, th I think that that was, you know, maybe an oversight in the writing department, because I think that would have made it a little bit more compelling. Mm -hmm. Although, you know, it was really interesting, even though some some of his uh, the, the killer's motivations or, or who why he was choosing some of these women didn't quite make sense. It was kind of cool to see him go from persona to persona to persona, because, he you know, first off, he's showing up as uh, an orderly at the uh sanatorium mm -hmm. then he's showing up as like some ladies man at a bar trying to pick up a woman then he gets in a priest's costume mm -hmm. and he's looking at this book that has a uh, nun in it and a priest in it and you don't know if the nun was who he was going after or what but you know an, in, an unfortunate run-in with some bikers kind of threw that plan all all astray although i do love that scene uh, or the whole sequence where, you know, he ends up running into the back end of a motorcycle. Uh, he gets into the uh, drive-in, is trying to hide in the drive-in. The, the bicycle, bicycle gang or motorcycle gang um, shows up and they're searching through all the cars trying to find them. That, I like that whole sequence. So there are strong points to what they did with that, but I just think a little ambiguity would have been a little bit nicer. Um but, you know, as, as the film progresses, you know, they're, they're getting the reports because he, he records the, the death throes of his victims, plays them, and he calls in again on, on the program. And, you know, Blaze is just getting more and more upset as this goes along. They're trying to, you know, track him down. It's not working. Uh, you know, he's, he's done his victims and finally getting to about the climax of the film. And you've got Blaze up in her dressing room. And you have, uh, you know, the killer show up and he's finally wearing a mask. Mm -hmm. And this mask, I would have loved if he had it on the entire film. I think it's a really creepy mask and it's a really creepy look for for that sequence that it's like, oh, man, if he had been wearing this like the whole time, it would have been cool. Could have helped, you know, keep the identity hidden of who it is. Um, and then he takes the mask off, you know, of course, at time it's the killer but what you don't know is that it is blaze's uh husband mm -hmm. which was a great kind of twist because you're kind of misled at the beginning of the film that he's in uh i don't know if it was supposed to be florida or just down in lower 
California. I think it was high Palm and Springs. I think. Palm Springs. That's it. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, being uh, high on drugs or just partying out the New Year's, no care what the wife was doing, and he's quote unquote surprising her with a visit that you know he wanted her to think that you know he was not going to be there for her big night or anything like that, and. Uh, and, and she's, of course, you know, very happy to see him. And although I know, I know you're not feeling well, but I have to bring you in on this because now I can't unsee it every time I look at this film. <laughs> he looks like Bruce Jenner. <laughs> and you came up with the great comparison as if uh, Bruce Jenner had not had gender reassignment and had gone completely nuts, that this might have been what would have happened in real life with Bruce Jenner. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. I, and I remember I was watching it, and um, it really is like if Bruce Jenner had snapped and decided to kill his wife. Um, I mean, obviously, that didn't happen. But right. I, do, I do know that, that now Caitlyn Jenner is not a fan of Kris Jenner or any of the Kardashians in general. Um, I know that they have a very, uh, very rocky relationship. And I don't know, for some reason, as soon as I saw his hair, and I'm not talking about Bruce Jenner um, recently, like before he got the, the certain, you know, before he went through his transition. I'm talking like Bruce Jenner when he won the Olympics. Um, yeah. So yeah. pretty much, I, I believe, I'm, I'm not 100% sure when he won the Olympics, um, but I know that it was, I think it was in the 70s or the 80s. I'm and thinking that, you're right. I think this is what he, he looked like when he was younger in the 70s, 80s, and he also had, you know, the last scenes of the movie when he is Richard Sullivan and he is the husband. He's in the track, he's in a track suit, and I was mm -hmm. just like, this movie is just predicting the future if Bruce <laughs> Jenner never transitioned and went nuts and wanted to kill Chris Jenner. Um, and Chris Jenner obviously being um, <clears throat> Blaze, the DJ host. Um, I know. I, d I actually did like that twist that it did end up end up being the husband. I think mm -hmm. that I do agree with you. I do think that they should have hit his face for a little bit because I thought it was weird that we saw his face right away. But I think it made sense because obviously we had to know the twist, like the climax of the right. movie, what you said, so that we when he does pop out of where he said he was in the bathroom um, and he does say hi to Blaze, um, we're like, oh my God, it's actually the husband. And the whole time we're trying to figure out, you know, what his MO is and why he's targeting the radio host. And now, of course, it makes sense because um, it's because it's his wife and he obviously hates women. Um, and he even said, and, and, and this is another thing that reminded me that he was Bruce Jenner because... <clears throat> I know you don't. I know you never watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians, <laughs> but I, I did used to watch it when I was younger. And she, Kris Jenner, basically controlled all the finances. She would never let him. Um, sorry, <coughs> she would never let give him any money. Like there was one episode, she like took away his credit card and his debit card and all the money that he had, and said, "If you want anything, you have to come to me first because he was paying for thing or he was buying like like toy helicopter things. And at the end of the movie, when they're in the elevator and she's basically just like, why are you doing this? And he says, well, I'm doing this because I always had to go through Yvonne, who is the lady, the, the black lady he killed in the beginning mm -hmm. of the movie. 
um, which was obviously like her assistant or like her financial controller or, or like her production manager or something. And he's like, I always had to go to Yvonne if I wanted even one penny from you. And I'm like, this is, this is exactly what would happen if, if Chris Jenner wanted to, or if, if Bruce Jenner tried to kill Chris Jenner, this is how it would happen. And the MO is all the same. <laughs> yep. Well, um, and like, and, and the big point where, and I mean, he even uses, uses the phrase, you, you emasculated me. So she took his, his manhood essentially and made him subservient. And then she flirts with all these other guys. And it just, it explains his motivation for, for why he, he goes after just women in this film. Like mm -hmm. no men are murdered. And, you know, he also explains kind of, that it's it's not quite evident, but he does kind of mention it in passing that the son in him kind of planned this together. Okay. That um, you know, it, it's not really hit on hard. It's more kind of you know, kind of foreshadowed at the ending if they ever had done a sequel to it. That you know is because like he didn't use her her last name and all this stuff to get the role that he was so excited to tell her yeah. about the beginning that she dismisses off. Um, uh, and so it's, it wasn't just that he was, that she was emasculating him, but that she emasculated their son as well. And it was just this big personal grudge that he held against her. And, um, you know, you're at that climax of the film. Uh, he, you know, blaze is going to survive. The dad throws or the husband throws himself off, off the roof. And, um, you know, the, it, the sun and this is and this is why it's almost weird of course i mean i know when it comes to the box office returns and stuff it probably didn't make enough money to kind of warrant a sequel mm. but it, it leaves with an interesting cliffhanger where you know blaze is put in the ambulance to go to the hospital and the sun picks up the mask and, and puts it on and is ends up driving the ambulance yeah. So you never, you're, you know, you know, Blaze isn't going to make it to the hospital, let alone survive whatever machinations her son has. But mm -hmm. it, you know, it just felt ripe for a sequel. And uh, it's kind of a shame it never got it because as much as it's probably not a great movie or just even a great slasher, it's interesting and it's fun. And it's and you don't have a whole lot of, you know, New Year's uh, themed slashers that or just horror in general uh that you know are, are just fun fun to enjoy with and like i said this thing is just like a great timestamp of the 80s i mean 80s horror is like my favorite and it's just it's got everything it's got the hair it's got the music it's got all the things you love about 80s horror in it regardless of it not maybe being a great or cohesive narrative film mm -hmm. yeah i did i really enjoyed the film a lot um it was I, I had no expectations of it. I had no idea. I didn't read or make any notes before I hit play. Um, so I did I did really like it for what it was. Um, there was I did like the the kill scenes that he set up, um, mm -hmm. like with the playground um, when he killed, I think. I think it was her sister, possibly. I could be wrong. The one where he's like the ladies man and he's in the bar and he's picking up the yeah. girl. And he kills he kills the the one girl and then the other girl is her roommate but i don't know if they had any connection to i can't remember at least yeah uh, if they had connection to blaze or not correct um i did like that and it seems like they um he likes to leave or the evidence he leaves behind is is a shoe at least in the first two murders mm -hmm. um because first you find the nurse's bloody 
um, shoe, and then you find um, the the roommate's shoe, um, which leads them to the body. So, but then the other ones, they kind of just stopped doing that. <laughs> so I wasn't sure. But then, then like you said, the biker guys totally messed that whole thing up, and right. um, I did make a note that he he definitely wasn't all that great oh because remember the third person he was he was gonna kill she ended up getting out um Mm -hmm. and then the police came and i remember i made a note and i said he probably should have put like the child locks on the back seat of the (laughs) he has because he was driving a mercedes benz he probably shouldn't have been paying attention so he didn't run over the biker guys um and I did like the role of the lieutenant. He in the beginning of the movie, he had he was like totally clean shaven, and he had like a three piece suit on. And like as the movie progresses, um, so does the lieutenant's three piece suit, including a vest. And he just keeps sweating. Like every time like another murder <laughs> happens, like another piece of his clothing is gone, and like one more button is like unbuttoned, and he's just like profusely sweating the whole time. Um, and another thing I wanted to say. Um, was that I always feel like these 80s movies, they always have to have, especially the Christmas movies that I did, it always has to have like a a mental background or like a mental patient background because he was actually stayed at that, um, the mental institution in the beginning of the movie. He was a patient Mm -hmm. there. And um, they never really got into why he was there. So I'm wondering, did he show any signs of this? Uh, these habits the entire time he was married and had a kid um or did the wife just like trigger him after so long after she just continued to just like like you said like emasculate him after after so many times um so I I, you know like I said I think I think he was just triggered by her Um, I think so too and also at the end when he um, when he jumps off the building and the son comes over and like hugs him and takes the mask, um, I wrote, I don't think the police would let him take the mask. And, um, everyone was so really like literally surrounded by, or the ambulance they were in was literally surrounded by people like looking in. So how did nobody see him slice the guy's neck and then take over with driving with the mask on? Because if you see when the camera pans to the front of the, the ambulance, there's people looking right yeah. into the windshields, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure somebody would have seen some guy in the mask that was just taking off the dead guy, <laughs> see, yeah. see him slice the, the driver's throat, and then, you know, put a mask on and start driving away. So I just thought that was funny. But then again, it's, it it's, does have plot holes, you know. It does, but you just have to take it for what it is. And I overall, right. I really liked the movie. I think the kills are cool. I liked the fact that when the police were in the playground, they like, the one chick was like, I think she was like swinging on a swing, and the other mm-hmm. one, she like slid down from the slide. Like, I have an issue with that one because I'm just like, how how do you time that right to mm-hmm. have it slide down the slide as soon as the cops show up? The That's swing one mean. makes more sense, but you know, when the cops are looking there and they don't see anything, all of a sudden the body slides down. I don't know how you make that work, but again, that's just overthinking it. Yeah, you don't make it work. That's the thing. It's kind of just like you got it, like you said, um, you have to just take it for what it is. And I did also, <laughs> the part that made me laugh too was when um, a blaze and a cop were in the elevator. And then the way that he like messes up the elevator, he just like puts a screwdriver and like the mm-hmm. electrical thing and like that's all that it takes. <laughs> 
And not then, only that, but the cop he, also passes out. Like yeah. how how I mean, I've not been in an elevator that has had those types of issues, but I'm pretty sure I can maybe understand a, a woman passing out from fright or exhaustion, especially one who's been doing an all-night marathon. But a cop who's trained to be in, you know, stressful situations, passing out from an elevator that just was kind of falling pretty quick, but still stopped. I I I don't know. I don't know. Mm, I know. And um I forget. Oh, I did like this. I did like the um the idea of her hanging from the bottom of the elevator and then the two drunk people in the elevator like trying to just like go up to their room and then he mm-hmm. like plays he takes the screwdriver again and just starts playing with it and then um all of a sudden the cops start shooting and it just fixes itself and it doesn't drop down to where she gets mm-hmm. crushed. So I was a little confused on that, but you know, it's a movie. I get it. I understand. Right. <laughs> um so yeah, guys, overall, the movie was good. I did really like it. You can watch it on Amazon Prime. You can stream it now. Um, and I don't think I have anything else to... Um, oh, and then I made another note. Um, <clears throat> he was... When he killed the third victim, who was the girl's roommate, I said it was a dumpster dive death because she was a <laughs> <the> dumpster. <laughs> but that was really clever, too. I yeah. mean, that was set up perfectly well where... You have the the shoe of of the first girl, mm-hmm. and you see blood kind of dripping out from from the dumpster and a strip of the dress that the girl was wearing. So you wouldn't think that anybody's going to be in there except the body of your friend. And as soon as she opens it up, bam, it's him, and he drags her in. And that smile he's got on his face yeah. when he does it—it's very creepy and well done shot. So there mm-hmm. are moments of like really good scenes in this movie you just gotta if, if you're having a hard time sitting through you just gotta you know power through it if you can't enjoy some things because there are some really master strokes of of genius with mm-hmm. how some of the things are set up yeah no i totally agree i really liked it it wasn't yeah there were some cheesy parts but i i did i mean come on the disguise he had in the second one where he's like the ladies man and he just like mm-hmm. puts the mustache on <laughs> and it looks so fake too i mean I like know. i don't know how it convinced anyone that it was a real mustache i know that's why i loved it so much because i was like he really is putting this mustache on to go pick up these women at the bar but he's actually a killer i was like how is anyone but then i guess i have to remember it's we have to remember it's new year's eve and everybody's right. drunk so they're not actually thinking that someone's gonna have a fake mustache on but yeah I really did like the movie overall um of course there were some slow parts but I mean it it I had questions throughout the whole thing and it did answer them because obviously I wanted to know why is he doing this and you know what's his motive and I did like at the end you know the ending kind of reminded me of Santa's sleigh when the brother little brother or the older yes the little brother the axe is at his feet. It's kind of the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. It's the same idea. You, like, you mean uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night? Yes, yes. That's what I meant. Same to slice. See, see, guys, I'm on antibiotics. Don't mind me. <laughs> Silent Night, yes. When the brother has the axe at the, at the at his feet, and then it's kind of like the same thing. But, I mean, you could say that for a lot of different horror movies. Right. I always feel like whoever is in this, you know, line is always going to um, pick up from where... The first left off so yeah i liked it you guys should go watch it especially if you're not doing anything tonight and you want to watch um a horror movie watch new year's evil because it's, it's a fun movie i liked it 
Okay. All right. Anything else on New Year's Evil before we get into the top five? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. So just a reminder, guys, these are the top five movies discussed in my podcast. This is not top five movies of 2018. So um, what we're going to do is we're each going to start. We're obviously going to go five, four, three, two, one. We're going to start with five. And I'm going to say mine and kind of explain it a little bit. And Patrick will say his. And... All right, let's get started. So my coming in number five for me is Stay Alive. Now, this is a movie about the video game and the Countess. Now, the reason that I chose this one as number five is because I've seen this movie a million times over, and I love the concept of it. I've always loved the concept of um, Elizabeth. I can't remember exactly what her name is. Catherine. Yeah, I love her, and I actually just watched Hostel 2 the other day, which paid homage to her um, when one of the victims is upside down, and we have a lady in a bathtub under her, and she starts slicing and hacking away at the victim. Um, uh, I don't know. I've always been, like, obsessed with that whole, like, trying to stay young thing and how she, like, bathes in the blood of virgins and things like that. So that's why this movie... Um, I really like, and I remember also mentioning in my podcast, the reason I like this movie so much is because I love watching horror gameplay. I can't play video games for shit, but I love (laughs) watching people play video games, especially horror video games. So I think that's why this is my number five pick. So what is yours? Uh, my number five is Creep. Um, you know, the found footage, uh, one with, uh, Mark Duplass and, and Patrick Bryce, uh, you know, respectively playing the, the subject and the and the filmmaker of of the film it's just uh it's it it earns its name i mean mark duplass's performance in that film is just it, it, it's it's creepy i mean there's no other word for it it's it's just a perfect realization of the name of the film and i mean there's just so many unexpected moments in it and i, I just i love the way uh it was filmed the way it's acted, it's just, it works for me a lot as a found footage film and as a horror film. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, number four, I have 13, 14 cameras. And the reason I have this is because it was the first uh, podcast I ever co-hosted with someone and that person being Patrick. So, <laughs> and also I love the movies. Um, and it's kind of like the found footage a little bit, but uh, it's more... It's more of what's going to happen kind of thing. And also I was obsessed with the ma- with I, I, I liked the landlord because I wanted to see what he would do. And I wanted to, you know, just I was very intrigued with the movie. It was very fast paced. It never uh, I never lost. Um, I never, you know, I, my attention was on it the entire time. And I love when a horror movie can do that, especially because I multitask all the time and I'm always trying to do like this, that, and the other thing while I'm watching a movie. But I remember just watching the first one and I was completely glued to my screen. And that takes a lot for me to do that. Um, and yeah, like I said, it was the first podcast I ever did with somebody else, which is pretty cool. So what is your number four? Uh, my number four is The Devil's Candy. Um, this was one that, uh, when I originally saw it, uh, thanks to the guys at um, Horror Movie Podcast uh, for talking about it, because I don't think I was ever going to be aware of that film. And uh, as soon as I had listened to that episode of their show, I, I-, I checked it out. And 
it it is great i mean it's got fantastic music to it it's got a fantastic cast i mean ethan embry i think is having some type of crazy weird resurgence as a, as a very talented uh, actor mm-hmm. um i liked just hearing you know some stuff about some trivia stuff about how uh you know the girl that plays his daughter like how they would have to play you know some like music from the frozen soundtrack like in between takes because she would get so kind of worked up over what they were filming and just knowing that like this kind of still even though they are actors and they know that none of this is real it was still hitting like hard for her uh you know portraying the role she was portraying and it's it does the great walk of the line of is it supernatural is it mental you know because it can kind of go a little bit both ways Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, it's just a great melding of of artistic matter where it's, you know, painting art, music, and filmmaking. It's just a trifecta of, of great work. Yeah, I agree. I didn't know that they had to play Frozen um, music in between. I, I, I'm sure they did. I mean, the part in the when she's in a bathroom and she's completely duct taped all the way up to, like, her eyeballs, mm-hmm. I can't imagine how traumatizing that must be because... You know, she's trying to get herself out of that. And she's yelling, too. So, But, yeah, I loved that movie. I thought it was great. Um, I didn't, obviously, I didn't like it as much as some of the other ones because there is a child in it. I'm not always a right. fan of children in horror. But overall, the movie was good. I do remember taking a solid, like, four hours and really watching that movie and making, like, very, very, like, just intricate notes about that movie because I wanted to do justice because so many people liked it, but it was pretty difficult for me to get through, especially the bathroom scenes and her getting mm-hmm. kidnapped and everything. And especially in that movie with when the two little boys are killed too, like I don't like any of that stuff. So, but overall I agree. It was a good movie. Um, so coming in at number three for me is cam. This movie was probably my favorite movie I watched of 2018 um just because i thought it was done so well and i've always been interested in the worlds of camming and cam models not for me personally but i love people (laughs) that are able to go out there and do that i also particularly love this episode that i did because i interviewed a cam girl and she was so smart and she was so witty and her answers to the questions that i had were just so great so if you guys have not uh, listen to that episode please go check it out um she did a great job answering my questions and the movie was great overall too i actually follow the director on twitter and she's just been getting so much recognition for that film so i definitely applaud her on that so um what was your number three my number three was of course uh halloween for 2018 um it was a great revival of of the horror franchise, of the slasher franchise. Uh, you know, I, I had a lot of trepidation about it. Um, you know, knowing who the filmmaker was and who, uh, you know, the writer was, Danny McBride and David Gordon Green, who primarily stick to comedy. Of course, we've seen this kind of, you know, new trend where comedians can actually tell good horror films. Uh, you know, get out, although I haven't seen A Quiet Place yet. I've heard nothing but fantastic things mm-hmm. and they really getting John Carpenter on, on board for part of the soundtrack and getting Jamie Lee Curtis back for, you know, her role as Laurie Strode. It was a perfect storm and it worked so well and it felt true to the Halloween mythos. It played a lot of homage to, you know, the original film and nods to some of the, 
ancillary sequels, primarily Season of the Witch, and it just it worked so much for me, and I was very pleased with what those guys were able to turn out and kind of revive this iconic horror uh, icon of Michael Myers. Oh, absolutely. Halloween was definitely a highlight of 2018 for me because it was the first time I got to see a movie like that in theaters, you know, because the movie came out a long time ago when we were very young and we weren't able to go see, you know, screenings of this movie. So I remember just being so excited to go see this movie and I was literally on the edge of my seat the whole time. And I really hope that they do a Halloween, they do the second one. I know there was talk of it. There was like buzz on Twitter about it. They're still considering it. I mean, they're still working on ideas. So that's, that's good to hear. Yeah, so I definitely have seen a lot of that stuff generate. Um, yeah, Halloween for sure was a highlight of 2018 for the horror genre, um, just because it did so well in the box office too. And it's like, yeah, see, like horror is still here, and people still are excited to watch it. And you know, it's and and you know, we even have Us by Jordan Peele that's coming mm-hmm. out, um, which I'm really excited about too. Same here. I, yeah, I feel like it's going to be great. So, All right, so number two, I have um, The Shining slash The Stanley. Now, this episode was really special to me because um, I recorded this episode when I was in Colorado with a few of my friends, and we ventured up to um, Estates Park where the Stanley Hotel was located, and we actually went on a ghost tour. Now, the reason this is number two for me is because, uh, like I said, it's very special to me. The Shining is very special to me. Stephen King, even though he didn't like the movie, um, I still appreciate Everything about the Stanley and, you know, the atmosphere of the hotel. I went into um, a detailed discussion of it um, in that episode. So if you want to listen to that, you can definitely go check that one out. Um, but yeah, the reason it came in number two for me is because it was my birthday and I was able to celebrate it in Colorado with my friends. And not only did I get to um, go to Colorado, but I also got to um see the Stanley Hotel, which is great, and take a ghost tour. So that was definitely my favorite um, episode movie that I discussed. What's number two for you? Uh, Number two for me is A Christmas Horror Story. And Uh, yeah, so good. Yes, This is probably my favorite Christmas themed horror film. I mean, this was another one where it's like, I'm trying to even remember how I came across it because it was when I was still doing DVDs through Netflix. I, I I thought from like the cover and from a trailer I'd seen that it was like, oh, this is going to be a really stupid low budget ripoff of Krampus, mm-hmm. which Krampus was one that was kind of it, it. It's good, but it let me down when I actually uh, watched it. So I, you know, I was like, well, you know, go ahead, get the DVD through Netflix and we'll see if you like it. And I fell in love with it immediately. I mean, there is, even though not all of the stories work for me, um, it's even at their weakest of the stories, the whole film as a whole is great. I mean, like even those weak stories are still strong with their performances and with what they're trying to do. And, you know, the, the best, I think, Santa going against the zombie elves story you will ever mm-hmm. see. And, and, and of course, William Shatner. I mean, there's enough said Dangerous with Dan. Dangerous Dan <laughs> and getting drunk. And even the, the credit scenes where he's just saying random shit. And it is just so funny to watch him just have fun with his role. And the, that twist ending. I mean, that twist ending is 
something that you do not see coming from the beginning of the film. You might notice one thing, but you know, you're going to shrug it off and you're going to be like, Oh, okay, whatever. And then you get to that twist and you're like, Oh my God, this makes perfect sense. And it's just, it is the one I have to watch every Christmas Eve. Oh no, I agree. I love that. It was a very pleasant surprise movie um, <clears throat> that I watched for the Christmas special. Um, so I have to agree with you. The ending uh, not only did I love each of the stories, yeah, and like you said, some some of them have weak their weak spots, but overall, um, it was good. And then you get the whole ending that just brings it all together, and it's just really cool. So if you guys haven't seen that one, go check it out. Um, so coming in at number one for me for my top five movies discussed in my podcast will be The Invitation. Now, the reason I chose The Invitation as um, my number one spot is because it is the first p- podcast that I ever recorded. Um, but also, the movie was just so good. <laughs> um, and, I mean, there's this movie just completely from the be- from when it started until the very end. Just, I was, there were a couple sm- small, uh, slow spots but overall it was so good and I was so intrigued the whole time in the ending when you know you find out actually what happens um or what's going on on this hillside in California you're just like what the fuck and you're just waiting for something else to happen and and then the screen just goes black so the invitation was definitely a pleasant surprise that my friend Steven um actually told me to watch a few times I was like eh I don't really know if I want to watch that and then it was suggested to me and I, again, and I was like, all right, I'm going to try this out. And then I watched it and I was like, this is one of my favorite movies like ever. So good. I'm so obsessed with cults. It's cults and cam girls, I guess, is my thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got your followers, you know. Yeah. So uh, what is your first pick? Well, my first pick is also The Invitation um, for a couple of reasons. Again, I got to give a shout out to the guys at Horror Movie Podcast because it was one I was not aware of until I'd listened to one of their episodes. And, you know, they gave it, did it a lot of justice uh, kind of recommending it. And I think I immediately went home, saw it was on Netflix and watched it and watched it straight through. And, you know, it's a different type of horror film because it's more psychological and like you said it's a slow burn i mean i think the thing that works for it is you're constantly questioning is the main is it the main character just being paranoid or is he really on to something and when you get closer to the climax of the film you realize yeah he is you know on to something here and the cult aspect of it's really well done uh you know the characters are well fleshed out um you know, when they set up certain plot points about the the one friend, well, he's always late. And then you kind of find out, oh, wait, no, he showed up like three hours ago and and he's gone. You know, there's we have no trace of what, whatever happened to him. And I also have to give it, you know, you credit because it was the first one you covered and it was the first mm-hmm. episode of yours that I listened to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you did great justice covering it as well. And, you know, the performances is what really sell that film these characters are strong they're believable they feel real it's like you feel like this is someone that you you could know or could meet somewhere down the road and the cult aspect is really done well because you've heard of people that kind of take advantage of these people's losses and um you know i i didn't know at the time that it was uh, michael huseman is who is the um the ex-wife's new husband yeah 
went on and, and is in the haunting of Hill house, which is another fantastic yeah. horror series. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, yeah. everything of that, that film just works. And like you said, the, that ending and you see all the red lights on the Hill mm-hmm. and you're like, Holy shit. Like, Oh my God, is this just here on this hillside is, or is this worldwide? And I mean, or just countrywide and you're left wondering it as the credits roll at that end scene. It's just fantastic film. Yeah. I think um, what makes a horror movie, a great horror movie is the fact that the films stay with you and they make you think about them. And um, I think the movie that did that the most for me is creep. Um, and I, it wasn't on my list, it was on your list, um, but it really stuck with me for a very long time because I I remember watching, you know, the second to last, yeah, the second or the third to last scene where he's sitting on the park bench and it's in the middle of the day and you can hear like cars passing and you can look on the hillside and you see these houses and all of a sudden this guy just gets whacked in the back of the head with an ax. And I think that's what makes horror movies so good is because they stick with you for so long. And yeah, I remember doing creep and I remember um, it, I was at a loss for words at the end when I was doing my podcast because I just thought the movie honestly was perfect from beginning to end. But you know, the reason it didn't get on my list because on your list too and I didn't obviously didn't want to talk about all the same movies (laughs) (laughs) go behind the scenes right there Um, but I have to agree that creep is probably honestly perfection in my eyes when it comes to a horror movie because not only is it found footage but the movie stuck with me and I wanted to see more of it and I wanted to know what happened and I wanted to know like so many different things and the fact that the main characters, the director, and then, you know, I just thought it was such a good movie. So I'm glad that you mentioned Creep because, as I said, I was, I was by the end of it, I was, like, at a loss for words because it was just so good. <laughs> yeah, agree. So I think that's going to be it for this um, New Year's Eve special with Patrick and I. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And you guys have a very, very, very happy New Year and happy 2018 and we will see you next year guys so thank you so much for listening thank you patrick again for coming on patrick is he's going to be starting his podcast in um the next mm, i want to say three to four months right march (laughs) march april ish is kind of my launch window yeah okay cool all right awesome and if you guys like this episode please like and comment please share it and just take uh head over to itunes take five seconds give me a five out of five you can leave a comment as well if you'd like if not that's cool too still love you so um that's gonna be it for this episode guys thanks so much for tuning in happy new year's and see you next year from horror nights in podcast bye guys bye